Last week, we began a brand new summer series called Last Days. It's a series that addresses the days in which we're living. More and more, it seems that the things that we have always believed and accepted as Christians are becoming out of step with much of America. Just yesterday, I received a text message from a friend that said, I see myself and those who trust in truth as becoming outsiders. Hear that again. I thought it was so insightful. I see myself and those who trust in the truth as fast becoming outsiders. The winds of public opinion and government opposition are turning against us rather quickly. And it just seems like if you want to put your faith into practice, then there's somewhere along the way somebody's going to draw the line and said, no, not anymore. That's why we're working our way through the book called Second Timothy. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul from a Roman prison cell. And he was awaiting his own execution. His crime was that he was a Christian. He was a preacher of the gospel. It is believed that the Roman Emperor Nero had Paul executed around AD, AD 67. But sometime before that final day, Paul sat down and he wrote a very personal letter to Timothy who was his protege and his spiritual son. By this time, you need to understand that Paul had already written Timothy one letter, and Timothy by this time was also the pastor uh, in the city of Ephesus. Paul wrote this final letter to urge this young pastor to stand firm in difficult days. He wrote this letter, 2 Timothy, to call this young pastor to persevere in the ministry of the gospel. In this letter, Paul was, in, was essentially passing the torch to a new generation. He was essentially saying to young Timothy, I'm about to approach the end of my life. I'm about to come to the end of my life. And as I come to the end of my life, I now want to pass the gospel torch to you, Timothy. As we said last week, the temptation in a time like that, when, when opposition is facing you and the pressure is around you, the temptation is to sometimes shrink back and become less obvious in your faith. It's always a temptation. It's always something we have to wrestle with, the the pressure that comes against us. The temptation is just to kind of step back a little bit. Maybe it will be a little easier if we don't say this or we don't do this. And, And so that's always the temptation we have to wrestle with, be less obvious. And so that's why Paul wrote these words. And so would you open God's word with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 and 7 because that ties it into what we talked about last week. Last week we looked at those verses, actually the first seven verses. But let's read verse 6 and 7 for context and see what Paul said to Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. Now, I want you to notice the word timidity. Apparently, young Timothy was struggling in this area. As I said last week, he probably was kind of shy. He probably was, was a little reluctant. He probably had some fears about accepting such a large role in the city of Ephesus where there were so many other gods to worship and so many pressures to conform to the culture. And so as, as Paul was explaining to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to understand something. God has not given us the spirit of timidity. That fear that you have does not come from God. 
Now, the problem with fear is this. It causes us to hesitate. Right? I mean, you've, you've experienced this more than likely. If you've ever gone, uh, like, to the swimming the community pool and they've got a high dive, have you ever done that and thought, I'm going to go off that high dive? And you get up there and, and you start climbing and, and it gets higher and higher and you get to the edge of the board and it doesn't look that high from down on the ground, right? When you're up here looking down, it looks a lot higher. And you want to go, and you hope to go, and you plan to go, but fear will cause you to hesitate. Uh, maybe if you're not into high dives, you can relate to this. Guys, remember when you were going to ask that young lady out? I mean, she caught your eye. I mean, you think about her a lot. In fact, you make sure that you take this route so that you can intersect with her route. And you're just trying to plan the opportunity for you to ask her out on a date, right? Remember when you did that? Remember how you worked up your courage? Remember how today's the day? And you put on your cologne and you shaved even because today's the day. You're going to ask her out today. And all of a sudden, by coincidence, your route intersected her route. And, and everything was falling into place. It was like a God-given moment. And you started to say, would you like to go out on a date? And what happened? You hesitated, didn't you? Fear started. The fear of rejection. Fear she might say no. Now, now guys, how many of you have experienced, not, not her telling you no, how many... <laughs> How many have experienced this, this hesitation? Like, I want to ask her out, I need to ask her out, but your fear caused you to kind of hesitate. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. We've got a few more truth-tellers in this service than the last service. <laughs> See, that's the problem with fear. Fear causes you to hesitate. Paul wrote to young Timothy, he said, Timothy, God has not given you that spirit of fear. That hesitation that is in your spirit, that kind of reluctance to go forward, that's not from God. You see, when we hesitate, here's the problem. When we hesitate, we usually don't follow through. You didn't ask that girl out. She went and married somebody else. You didn't jump off the dive. You, you climbed down the ladder in, in full embarrassment. You see, that's, that's what fear does to it. When we hesitate, it gives fear a chance to work. And when you give fear a chance to work, then all of a sudden you don't follow through with what you intend to do. And I think that's what Timothy was wrestling with. Timothy was wrestling with this fear within him. Because you see, Timothy lived in a culture where Jesus was not known and the gospel was not popular and sometimes it seems he probably hesitated in his faith. We do that too, don't we? The fear of embarrassment sometimes causes us to be silent about the gospel. You know, afraid of what your, your friends will say, afraid of what your co-workers will say, just that fear of embarrassment. If you go forward, if you open yourself up, if you talk to somebody about Jesus, just that fear of embarrassment. We, we want to take that step, but we hesitate. Maybe it's the fear of consequences, the fear of what will happen if I, if I am brave enough, if I am bold, the fear of the consequences. If I say what I need to say, what's going to happen Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be reprimanded? Just, just the fear of the consequences causes us to be reluctant 
to live out our faith. So in our text today, Paul addresses that fear and the hesitation that he saw in the life of Timothy. I want to begin with verse 8, and Paul gave Timothy and us, beginning in verse 8, three action steps to take in those times when fear causes us to hesitate. Now, I'll go ahead and confess to you that I'm not going to make it through the whole sermon. I've got three action steps. If you want the third one, guess what you're going to have to do? Come back tonight. Will you do that? I'm not going to ask you to vote on it. Go ahead. Verse 8, here's what he says. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed to test. I'll try it again. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here's the first action step. When, when you have this tendency to hesitate, you have this tendency to go forward. When fear begins to take over, Paul says, here's the first action step for you, Timothy. Number one, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Now, the word ashamed is a key word in this chapter. You'll see it used two times in verse 8. You'll see it again in verse 12. You'll see it again in verse 16. Three or four times in this text, Paul brings up this word ashamed. Let's look at it real quickly, beginning in verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Look again in verse 12. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. When I saw that word, I am not ashamed, it reminded me of what Paul had written in another letter. And I want you to take just a moment to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, because he writes about the gospel in this letter called Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed. There it is. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because, here's the reason. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. Paul's confidence in the gospel, his confidence in the message of Jesus Christ was based on four things. Paul says, first of all, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because... It is a message from God about His Son. Look in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. This is a message that is not from Paul. This is a message that is from God, and it is good news to the world about His Son. And he says, secondly, it is one message that has the power to change people's lives. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The gospel had changed Paul's life. He knew it could change the lives of others. That's why he wasn't ashamed of it. Thirdly, he said the gospel delivers people from the penalty and the power of sin. Look what he said in the verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the, what's that next word, church? For the what? For the salvation. 
The word salvation means to be rescued from something. It means to be rescued from the penalty and the power of sin. So let's follow through with this so far. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And there's some very good reasons why I'm not ashamed. Number one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is good news from God about His Son. Number two, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because... Listen to this one. Because it has the power to change lives. This is not just simply a a, a good story from somebody. This is the power of God. Number three, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it saves us from the penalty and the power of sin. Number four, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this is not an exclusive message. It is available to anyone. Here's how he says it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of, I love this, for the salvation of everyone. Not everyone who behaves. Everyone who believes. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Think with me. If there is a gospel, if there is good news like that, the good news that God in heaven is speaking to us on earth, and it's a story about His Son, if there is good news that... God has the power to change your life. If there is good news that this power can free you from the penalty and the power of sin, if there is good news that this power, this gift is available to anyone, not those who behave good, but those who believe in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, why in the world would we be ashamed of that? Why in the world would we get to the edge and and hesitate on that? Why would we let fear take over when we have the opportunity to tell somebody that good news? But I sure have, haven't you? I can't explain it to you. I remember this, and I've told this story a couple of times, but I've been here almost 19 years, so these stories sometimes repeat, and some of you haven't heard it because you're new. So let me tell you this story. And some of you who did hear it don't remember it because, you know. I was in Fort Worth, Texas, preparing for the ministry at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I, I, was, I had already surrendered to preach. I had already been licensed to preach. I had already completed my first degree at Carson Newman College, a bachelor's degree in religion. With that background, you need to understand that background because... I, was, I moved, Lisa and I moved to Southwestern Seminary so I could get a master's degree in theology and prepare to be a pastor. I got a part-time job at W.W. Granger's. They, they were called W.W. Granger back then. W.W. Granger, I worked on the dock. And one day, as I was working on the dock, the doors were open and I saw this man coming from the parking lot towards the building. And, and this doesn't happen often, but God said to me so, so directly, so clearly, I want you to tell that man about me. My heart started pounding because I heard it so clearly. My heart started pounding. As he was walking towards the corner of the building, I honestly was hoping he was going to walk around the front to the front of the building. But he did not, he, he turned and he came into the dock area, up the steps, came onto the dock, and I promise you, this is exactly what he said. He came onto the dock, he looked at me, he said, hey there young man, he said, do you have any good news for me today? Talk about a wide open door. I don't remember what I said to him. 
But I do remember I did not tell him about Jesus. And I cannot tell you why. I had the opportunity. I had a wide open door. But I hesitated. And when you hesitate, fear can take over. And I don't know what I was afraid of, but the fear was so real, I did not tell him about Jesus that day. Timothy understood what that was like. Timothy knew what it was like to get to the edge of the board and want to go for it, but feeling a little reluctant. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy about the gospel. You see, we wonder why, why is this so important to Timothy? Uh, why is it so important that Timothy get this? I think the answer can be found in chapter 2, back in uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, rather, verse 8. Why could Timothy be, be so uh, reluctant about the gospel? Why would he be so ashamed about the gospel? Why was I so ashamed of the gospel as a seminary student? But the reason I think sometimes that we are ashamed of the gospel is found in verse 8. Read it with me. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. I think the reason we sometimes are ashamed of the gospel is because the gospel is not always popular. The gospel is not always popular. See, here's the danger of being ashamed of the gospel. Shame often shows itself through our silence. We simply don't say anything. The opportunity is there, but the courage to speak is not. The opportunity was there for me in Fort Worth, Texas, but the courage to speak was not. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had that opportunity and you hesitated and fear was taking over and you wondered about the consequences and you wondered about the embarrassment? Has that ever perhaps happened to you? Jesus knew that this would be a temptation we would all struggle with. And he spoke about it in the Gospel of Mark. Would you open God's Word, go over to the left and find the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. The Gospel of Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Let, remind, let me remind you, this is the words of Jesus. And He says, If anyone is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. You have a pen or pencil handy? Could I ask you to mark something in your Bible? In that verse, would you mark these words? Ashamed of Me? And my words. Ashamed of me and my words. Now we could take some time and drill down in that verse. And, and that might be a good message for another time. But here's what I want you to understand. Many people, Jesus said. Jesus said there will be a day. When many people will, not, will, will mock me. And will mock what I say. There will be a time. When many people in culture. Many people in society. Will mock me. And they will mock everything that I've said. You see, the gospel is not always popular. But hear me, church. The gospel may not always be popular, but the gospel is always needed. 
It's always needed. Whether they're mocking you or not, whether they accept you or not, whether they support you or they are, or, or, or they are against you, whether they act like they want to hear or they don't want to hear another word, regardless, the gospel may not always be popular, but the gospel is always needed. Always. Boldness comes when we understand how desperately the gospel is needed. See, I believe boldness comes when we begin to realize that we are not sharing just an idea. And we're not sharing a nice Bible story. And we're not even sharing a religion. We are sharing the Savior. Paul talked about that beginning in verse 9. Going back to 1 Timothy again. Or, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. Verse 9, here's what Paul said. Let's start in verse 8. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then he explains this gospel. He explains that this is, we're sharing a Savior who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of what? Our our what? Our Savior. Our Savior. And who is our Savior? Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the what? Gospel. Through the gospel. See, boldness in the gospel comes from the realization that there is nothing greater than the gospel. That there's no other story you can tell that would be better than the story of Jesus. There is no other story you can tell that would be stronger than the story of Jesus. There is no other message you could share that would have more impact on somebody's life than the message of Jesus. So when you have that opportunity, Paul says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Because it's a word that everybody needs, whether they know it or not. So, let me try to bring this down to personal application for all of us. You may have a close friend who is always reading the latest self-help book, but they're never looking to the one who can really help. Maybe it's time for you to be bold and lovingly confront your friend with the gospel. Perhaps you're, you have coffee with a co-worker who doesn't believe in God and doesn't know why you do. Maybe it's time you lovingly explained to your friend, your co-worker, the gospel. Maybe a mom in your playgroup wonders why you seem to have peace when she does not. Perhaps God wants you to tell her the real reason that you have hope. Perhaps God wants you to open your mouth and share with her the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And when we are living in last days, that is especially important that we not be ashamed of the gospel. Number two, the second action step that Paul gives Timothy and ultimately us is this. Be willing to suffer for the gospel. Look what he says in verse 8 and again in verse 12. In the second part of verse 8, he says, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 12, he says much the same thing. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and and am convinced that He is able to guard what I've entrusted to Him for that day. 
You know what Paul was trying to help Timothy understand? The same thing that we need to understand. Persecution. Persecution and suffering is inevitable for the person who is truly following Christ. It's inevitable. Paul was saying, Timothy, I just, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat this. I want you to know. Number one, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Number two, you also need to be willing to suffer for the gospel because, Timothy, that day will come. Oswald Chambers was right when he wrote, No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Paul did, whether it means suffering or not. We're not asking you to just somehow go out there and look for suffering. We're just asking you to go out there and live according to God's will, understanding that if you do that, suffering may come. You see, in the last days, we must be faithful to the Lord and willing to suffer for the gospel if necessary. Now, you need to understand something. Suffering is a major theme of the New Testament. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, you know, Pastor Keith, I like it better when you tell funny stories. And, 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 and you know, when you just talk about grace and love and all those, the, the, I like, you know, that message a few weeks, I like those kind of messages. I understand that, can I be honest with you? I like those a lot better too. But as your pastor, I have to prepare you for what is ahead. And what is ahead is this. We're living in a rapidly changing culture. And you may one day have to suffer for the gospel. But you need to understand that this is not something that catches God off guard. This is not something that's unusual in what's happening in our world. You need to understand that that the Bible throughout the New Testament portrays suffering as normal and somewhat inevitable for God's children. Let me just walk through the Scripture with you real quickly. We may not have the time to look at all the references, but let's start in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's interesting that at the very beginning of of our Lord's ministry, at the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, as He's training the disciples as they are beginning their ministry, it's very interesting to me that Jesus takes the time to clearly warn His followers about the suffering that is to come. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven, He said, guys, I know this is spiritual boot camp. I know that we're getting ready to start out in ministry. That, guys, there's just something I've got to tell you. Blessed are you. Don't think it's odd. Don't think that God's against you. Blessed are you when you persecuted for righteousness. Now, wait a minute. Time out, time out, time out. Where is that on the contract? It's coming. Jesus said, it's coming. I just want you to know. And, and then, so that's how he started his ministry. Very interesting how he ended his earthly ministry. On the last night with his disciples, he reminded them again of this theme of suffering. Look with me in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20. 
Jesus said on the last night with his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We don't have time to look at all the verses, but when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, Paul sent Ananias to, uh, or God sent Ananias to Paul with a special message. He said, I want you to tell him of all the things he will suffer for my namesake. Paul told the Philippian church in, in Philippians 1.29 that suffering for the gospel is a privilege. Later he told young Timothy, his protege, In essence, this is Shorter's translation. He in essence said, Timothy, I want you to understand something. Suffering for the gospel is normal Christianity. Let me show that to you in the text. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone, would you say that word everyone? Everyone. Uh, Folks, do you believe this is the Word of God? I want to tell you something. It is God's divine Word to you as well. Does everyone include people here in Powdersville? Absolutely. Look what the Word says. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Now, thankfully, none of us have experienced the type of persecution, perhaps, that Paul had in mind here, at least not yet. But the fact that we haven't experienced it yet, doesn't mean that we never will. In fact, it's already started in some places of our country. Now, around the world, people are experiencing persecution like you could not imagine. They are being slaughtered around the world because of the gospel, because of their faith in Christ. That largely has not come to America yet, but there are pockets of places throughout our country where the resistance is starting to form, where the persecution is starting to rise up. For example, Michael Salmon, who lives in Phoenix, was sentenced to 60 days in jail along with three years probation and a fine of $12,180 for holding a Bible study in the privacy of his own home. A Florida ministry that feeds the poor. A Florida ministry whose aim is to feed the poor. Said that a state agricultural department official told them that that they would no longer receive USDA food unless they, listen to this, unless they removed the Ten Commandments, the picture of the Ten Commandments, unless they removed a banner that said Jesus is Lord, and, and unless they stopped giving Bibles to the needy. Unless you, you don't have the right to have those things here, if you remove those things, we'll continue to give you food to give to the needy. If not, we're not giving you anything. A former teacher of the year in Mount Dora, Florida. This man was the teacher of the year. This, uh, and then the very next year was suspended from his job and his job was threatened because he voiced his objection to gay marriage on his, on his 
private Facebook page. There will be times when you may have to suffer as well. For the gospel. Physically, vocationally, financially, perhaps in in relationships. But always remember this. Listen, are you listening? Always remember this. The gospel is always worth it. No matter what you lose, no matter how difficult the struggle, no matter how fearful the time, no matter how much you're at the edge and and you're wanting to step back, remember these words, the gospel is always worth it. And I base that on verses 8 through 12. We'll read this in, in conclusion. We've read it before, but I want you to see it again. Chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 8, he says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and His grace. The gospel is worth it because of what He's done for you. This grace was given us. We didn't have to earn it. It was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. That's why the gospel is worth it. Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And and of this gospel, I was appointed and herald and an apostle and a teacher That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed. Because. Shorter's translation. It's worth it. I am not ashamed because. I know who I have believed. And I'm convinced. He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him. For that day. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm just here to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. But not everybody is at that place, are we? Not everybody is at that same spot. Craig Rochelle wrote a book, and I I'm going to read just a little bit of an excerpt. He talked about the three lines of commitment in our Christian life. And as I close, I want you to figure out which line are you at. He said, line number one is this, I believe in God and the gospel of Christ enough to benefit from it. That's where a lot of folks are, consumer Christianity. I believe in God and the gospel enough to benefit from it. If, if I have to say a prayer and if I, if I say I believe in Jesus and I can get heaven in return, that's a good deal. I believe in the gospel and in God enough to benefit from it. Thank you for telling me how I can go to heaven Thank you so much. That's the first line. He said the second line is this. I believe in God and in Christ's gospel enough to contribute comfortably. That is, I recognize He died for me, so I need to do something for Him. So not only do I claim heaven and say thank you for it, but but when it's comfortable and when it's convenient, I try to do things in return. Then Craig Groeschel said the third line of commitment is this one. I believe in God and Christ's gospel enough to give my life to it. That is where Timothy was challenged to go. And that is where Paul was living as he wrote these words in a prison cell 
about to be executed. I believe in God and in Christ's gospel enough to give my life to it. Now listen, listen. The world will try to pull you back from that one. The world will try to convince you that you are too radical. The world will try to convince you you need to go back to line two or maybe even back to line one or, or maybe even past line one. But when we retreat, when we back down, we lose the opportunity to tell the world about the gospel that they so desperately need. And so Craig Rochelle said this. He said, every day I choose the third line. Every day I choose the third line. I believe in Christ and in the gospel enough to give my life to it. That first line, uh, th- this first line is, is, is shallow Christianity at best if it is Christianity at all. Second line, the second line is, is better, but it's still so human focused. So long as it's comfortable for me. The third line, the third line is where God wants you to live. The third line is where Jesus is Lord of your life. The third line is where Jesus is evident in your life. The third line is when Jesus becomes real to you and the people around you. I believe in God and the gospel so much that I'm willing to give my life to it. Are you there? Would you take that step today? I know that it's hesitant. I know it's difficult. Would you take that step? To say, Lord Jesus, because you died for me, I will live for you. A simple prayer, isn't it? But if you really meant it, if it really came from your heart, Lord Jesus, because you died for me, I will live for you. Not just when it's convenient, not just when it's easy, but because I believe in the gospel so much, I will give my life to it. I want you to pray with me. Let's pray about that. Father, I pray that as we wrestle with where we are in that line of commitment, I pray that we would seek that third line. Help us to, to try to discern what might be separating us from a holy surrendered, spirit-filled, kingdom-driven life. Help us to not to settle for line number one, not to settle for line number two. But may we consider the cost, do whatever it takes, and step across the line for the gospel. May we truly begin to live for the one who died for us. And it is in his name I pray. Amen.